Well, back in Revelation, last week we unsealed the seventh and final seal. We saw that the seventh seal was actually the unleashing now of the seven trumpets. And we saw the first four trumpets were judgments that God used nature to bring judgments upon them. The first trumpet was a destruction of hail, and a third of the earth and the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was destroyed. The second trumpet was a meteor or asteroid crashing to earth, landing in bodies of salt water, killing a third of all sea life, and sank a third of all the ships. The third trumpet was another meteor or asteroid that landed in the bodies of fresh water, making the water bitter and poisonous and killing many who drank it. The fourth trumpet was making the moon and the stars and the sun dark for about a third of the time. We figure probably affecting the tides, the flooding, and temperatures. And we ended the chapter with this verse. Verse 13 says, And then I looked up and heard a single angel, or eagle crying loudly as it flew the air. Terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. So the first four trumpets were God's judgment using nature. And if you've been out in nature, you know that man can't stop what nature wants to do. But now God's going to turn from nature. He's going to unleash the enemy. What follows will not be God's judgment using nature as the weapon, but using demonic forces as a weapon. He's going to unleash Satan and his horrible demonic forces on those who have not trusted Christ. Now we come to chapter 9 where this begins. All this is going to be, begin to be fulfilled. In verse 1, it says, Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky and was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now the star was not an inanimate object. It was, a, it was some kind of living being. Most commentaries believe it was an angel of God sent to begin this set of judgments. And we know that the bottomless pit is where a lot of the demons are right now imprisoned. Jude chapter 6 tells us, And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority that God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the day of judgment. 2 Peter 2.4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy, dun gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. And verse, or Luke 8, verse 30 says, What is your name, Jesus says? Legion, he replied, for the man was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. Now, there's some thought that the angel that was sent down was, was, actually, the, was actually the devil. But the Bible says that Jesus has the keys, and he didn't give them up to the enemy. Revelation 1.18 says, Jesus speaking, I am the living one who died. Look, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Now, the word grave here is the same word for grave as in New Testament, Hades, the same word that's used when they're talking about the bottomless pit. And it seems that the smoke coming from the bottomless pit, it would be the same as they say in Luke 16. Lazarus and the rich man, Rich man wakes up in hell. Verse 23 in Luke 16 says, and being in torment in Hades. So right now, Jesus sends an angel to open the bottomless pit, let out all the demons that aren't free right now because there's some that are free. Let those out and they are going to wreak havoc on the world. Now some believe that the bottomless pit 
is and Hades are connected, but they're separate. In other words, if you know Hades or Sheol in the Old Testament, there's Hades, which is the place of the dead. There's two compartments. One is the punishment side and one is the paradise side. And when Luke 16, before the resurrection, the rich man can see Lazarus across. He can see him, so they're, they're connected. When Jesus came and took, he took the paradise side with him to heaven, so that's gone. But still, the, the punishment side is there. Now, some people believe that they're in this compartment of Hades, there's a separate compartment. It's part of it, but separate from it, which is the bottomless pit. It doesn't say. It's a speculation, so that's about as far as we're going to go with that. Whether it's the same place or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is all these demonic forces, wherever they are, are going to be re- released onto the earth. Now, a couple of notes about the pit. The Antichrist, or the beast, comes out of this pit. Revelation eleven seven. So when they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them. So the Antichrist comes from that bottomless pit. The second point is Satan is going to be imprisoned in this bottomless pit for a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 2. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit. So it's not a place you want to be. And you think about any, every horror movie you've ever seen that deals with demonic forces. I don't like those type of movies. I never have. Even before I was a Christian, I didn't really care for them. But can you imagine what it's going to be like when all of the demonic forces are released, basically free to do what they want? Verse 3 says, Then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. Now, these locusts are not like locusts we're familiar with. They're not locusts like the ones in Egypt. They're not locusts like we get here. These locusts are most likely demons and demonic activity that, for lack of a better term, they're saying they're like locusts. The term locust is used to describe the ability to devour and destroy, not to describe what they look like. In other words, the regular locusts in Egypt, you know, they came and they basically stripped the land. Well, they're using that analogy because that's what these demonic forces are going to do. They're going to basically strip the rest of the land. And the phrase here is sting like scorpions. Now, locusts don't sting. They eat the grass. But here, they're told not to eat the grass, but they're to sting. So they can't be the locusts that we're familiar with. Verse 4 says, they were told not to hurt the grass or plants or trees, but to attack all the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So who's giving the orders? God's still in control. He's letting all the demonic forces out, and he's telling them what they can and can't do. It's kind of like Job. The devil came before God and says, hey, God, you know, hey, Job, look at my servant Job over there. And he tells him what he can and can't do. So even though this is destruction coming upon the people of the earth, there's still limitations of what these locusts or whatever they are can do. Why would the enemy tell the locust not to hurt God's people? Because God is in control. He's telling them, you can do whatever you want, but you can't touch the people who have the seal. And who's the ones who have the seal? We talked about that last week. That's 144,000 Jews that God has raised up as evangelists. They got a seal on their forehead, and God says you can't touch them. 
Revelation 7, 4 says, and I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. There were 144,000 who were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. So all these locusts, whatever they are, that are gonna sting and torture the world are a sign that they cannot touch the Jewish evangelists, 144,000, but they're to attack everybody else. Verse five says, they were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with the agony like the pain of scorpion stings. Again, limitations as to what they can do, what they can't do. They, could, they couldn't kill anybody, and they could only last for five months. But it seems like everything else is on the table. They could torture them with agony, like a scorpion sting, and the pain would be so bad that people want to die. Verse six says, in those days, people will seek death but not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee, from, flee away from them. People try to kill themselves, and they won't be able to kill themselves. They won't be able to do something that, that ends their life. They will be stuck suffering for the five months of unending agony and torture. And the repetition where he says that basically the same thing twice, seek death, not find it. They want to die, and death will flee away. It's the same as the Old Testament emphasizes it because when it says it twice, it's a repetition that the Old Testament uses to emphasize the severity. I wrote down here, the agony is so severe and dreadful that people will think the only way out is to kill themselves, but even suicide will be ineffective. And there's no place that they can hide from this judgment. Now, since these are demonic forces and spirit beings, you can't lock them out. You can't barricade yourself away because they'll come right through the walls. You can't lock them in anywhere. You can't trap them in a building and go out of it. Everywhere that you think you can hide, they're gonna be there. You cannot escape it. And I wrote here, think of your worst horror movie and magnify it and put yourself right in the middle of it. Seeing that there is no ending to this, at least for five months, why is it they're not allowed to kill anybody? Because God's giving them a chance to repent. They've got five months of agony and torture. God doesn't want them to be in hell. He's trying to get their attention. And yet, what happens? Most of them don't acknowledge it. If God wanted them to be in hell, why not just send them there at the beginning of the tribulation? Just put them all there at the beginning of seven years and be done with it because he wants people to get saved because five months of this punishment and seven years of horrible tribulation is nothing compared to eternity in hell. So even though we think it's horrible, it's minuscule compared to what hell is gonna be like and God wants people to not go there. He's using these events to get people's attention. Verses seven, it says, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates, like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like, and sting like scorpions and in their tails, they had the power to torment people for five months. 
So you know they're not really locusts, but you can tell from their description that they're a powerful enemy, fully clothed, ready for battle. And they're going to battle the people that have not repented. So let's look at each description there. Verse 7. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. Now, horses, if you read history or even the Old Testament, horses usually mean to symbolize victory, symbolize going into war. It's designed to fool people with a promise of power and victory. You see someone riding up on a horse, looking for you, hoping they're on your side, but they're not on your side. You get this, you get this false sense of security that, oh, they're going to protect me, when in fact, they're the ones that are actually going to attack you. On their heads, were, they wore something like crowns of gold. Again, not real crowns, not real gold, but ones designed, to, again, to fool the people into thinking that they had the power and authority to do what they were going to do and the power and authority to actually win. So you see someone riding up, just like a king, got a crown on, riding a horse, you think, he's going to win this battle for me. But actually, he's winning this battle against you. And since the devil is the father of lies, it's no wonder he's going to lie to those who are following him. Notice another thing here. And it's, it's... Satan has no loyalty to the people that follow him. Notice that? You would think that, man, if I, if I did that, if I just lived like the devil, he'd have my back. But he does just the opposite. As soon as he gets you in his clutches, he's there to destroy you. What's the Bible say? The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his goal for each one. And you, if you think that because you don't serve God, that he's got your back, He's going to turn on you as quick as he can. Think about this. The devil tempts you to sin. He encourages you, tells you how good it's going to be. It's going to be awesome if you do this. And the minute you do it, he's right there to condemn you for doing it and to bring you down in the process of doing it. He has no loyalty to those who support him or even those who serve his purposes. You may be working for the devil, but he's still going to get you. We, have, we don't have locusts today inflicting torment, but the payment from the devil from following him today is the same. Sorrow and pain. If you sin, there's going to be sorrow. I try to beat this into the teenagers' heads and, and Sometimes adults, all of God's rules are not meant to hurt you or quash your fun. God's rules are there to protect you and keep you safe. When you, when you have little kids and they think you're the worst parent in the world because you don't let them do something, you're doing it because you want to keep them safe. All of God's rules that we don't like are meant to keep us safe. And when we disobey them, we suffer the consequences of those things that God we're trying to keep safe from. So the enemy is going to get you regardless of whether you think he's on your side or not. Verse 7 goes on and says, And their faces resembled human faces. Now, human faces give the impression of intelligence. Intelligence being of that of evil and demonic. But clearly these looks are meant to be terrifying. How many 
are old enough to remember the original, the original Fly movie back in the 50s. Now, they had the Jeff Goldblum one in the 80s. That was, that was good. But the, the first one, the black and white one, I remember watching that as a kid. And if you've never seen it, it's, I mean, the, the technology is so advanced now, it looks kind of weird today. But at the end of the movie, you see this little fly. If you don't know the premise, a fly and a human merge together and become one. At the end of the movie, you see this little fly flying into a, a, a web, and you see the guy's head on the fly. And that creeped me out when I saw that. But that's exactly what these things are going to be. They're going to be some kind of human form with a human-looking face, but not a human. All the other parts of it are going to be demonic. And it's meant to terrify you. Verse 8 says, their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. Now, if you look this verse up, you're going to get all kinds of interpretations for the woman's hair thing. It doesn't, no one agrees on it. No one really cares what it means. In previous uh, verses, the word man is generic for mankind. But here, the word for women is actually feminine, indicating that he's talking about a woman's hair. So it's going to be, whatever this thing is, is going to have long, flowing hair, just like a woman. I don't know why. No one ever explains to me why. So you have these locusts. They're sitting on horses, fake crowns, human-like faces, long hair, and now they have teeth like a lion. And I think the reason for the description is to help us understand how terrifying an image it's going to be. You know, sometimes we get desensitized when we see something like this on movies, you know, how they can create all these different kind of beasts now with a computer or makeup. And we kind of get desensitized to that. But imagine seeing something like this for real in front of you. It's meant to inflict terror because terror is going to be part of the punishment. It's one thing to be tormented, but another thing to be constant in constant terror of something. You ever have a, a, terror, a night terror dream? Your kids ever have one of those? And they wake up screaming and crying because they had some kind of horrible dream. The dream was, it was just a dream. But the terror inflicted upon them caused them to cry and be all worried. I think part of the torture, aside from the pain, is going to be the constant terror that we have. Verse 9 goes on and says, They have breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sun of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. Breastplates indicate their invincibility by any human means. These breastplates would cover any vulnerable points, but for these locusts, there are not going to be any vulnerable points. Mankind is not going to be able to stop them with any kind of traditional weapon. And the sound they emit is so loud that it sounds like an entire army marching against them. I mean, we get to see that right now with Ukraine. What's well, like for an entire army to march for you, toward you? And even if you've been watching the thing in Canada, when you have all the troops coming at the truckers, this, this wall of, of riot gear police, that's just police. They have so many of them it's going to be the thundering of many horses and chariots. It's going to be so loud, it's like an entire army marching at people. 
There'll be no escape, no hiding, nothing can stop them. And the fear is going to be so crippling that it's going to intensify any pain you receive after that. Verse 10 says, they had, they had tails and, stings, and sting like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. So now we have the terror first. These things are inflicting terror on the people, and following the terror now comes the physical pain. And this is the third time that John references the tails and stingers and their ability to inflict torment. And again, repetition in the Bible is because it wants to emphasize what's going to happen. It's not just one sentence. It's three times he's telling you this. And it's going to be an absolute torment and people are going to be unable to die. And five months right now seems like no big deal. But can you imagine being in utter torment and fear for five solid months? I'm guessing the fear you're not going to be able to sleep. The pain you're not going to be able to sleep. It's going to be horrific for five months. Some believe that these figurative meanings, these are figurative meaning that they are demonic beings and that they will be unseen. I don't think so. I think John goes on to describe them in, in detail so we understand what they're going to look like. And they're going to inflict the horrors as it says. Creatures will be seen and the sight of them will cause panic and fear as well as the suffering and pain. I tend to believe that they're going to be visible because the enemy is visible in the Garden of Eden. Snake, you saw the snake. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, it is written as if he was a visible form. Matthew 4.3 says, and the devil came and said. Matthew 4.5, and the devil took him. It sounds like it's something that Jesus can actually see as well as be tempted by. So it's not an invisible thought process. It's something that's visible. So these, whatever they are, these locusts are going to be visible to everyone. It's not just a demonic thing that's, that you can't see. However, even if they are not seen, the pain and torment is not spiritual. It's going to be real, and it's going to come to pass. Verse 11 says, their king is the angel, or the, yeah, is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollon, the destroyer. Another indication that these are not real locusts, but someone who has a leader. And the Bible tells us that locusts don't have a leader. Actually, it says that. You wonder why it says something like that? This is why. Proverbs 30, verse 27. Locusts, they have no king, but they march like an army in ranks. You, know, you read something in Scripture, and you're like, why is that there? Why do we care about locusts having no king? Well, because now we're looking at it. These locusts have a king, so they can't be traditional locusts. They have to be a demonic army that's coming against us because the devil is the commander of that army. Now, we said at the beginning that it wasn't Satan or a demon that opened the pit, but it was God or the angel from God. But this angel the one that we're going to talk about now, is the one from the pit. It can't be Satan because as of now, he's not in the pit, right? Satan's free. How many know that Satan's free right now? He's, he's roaming around. He's got a bunch of demons working with him, all right? It sounds like science fiction, but it's, it's biblical truth. So the angel that's coming out of the pit can't be Satan. It has to be a leader that Satan's choosing because Satan is already out. He's not in the pit. The Bible says he is the prince of the power of the air now. 
he has some authority. Ephesians 2, 1 says, once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins, you used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. The enemy's free, roaming around. What's the Bible say? He's like a lion seeking whom he can devour. So if your guard is down, he's going to come at you. He's going to tempt you with something that looks good. And the minute you are tempted to do that and you do it, he's going to automatically heap all the consequences on you as well as conviction. So he wants to destroy you. The Satan or the king here is most likely in, in the hierarchy of Satan's demons. Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Authorities. So there, are, there is a hierarchy of authority in Satan's realm. Mighty powers of the darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. So now we see a, a structured army they have a leader, they have commanders, they have authority, and they are going to go out organized in a way to torment everyone who's on the world. Not going to kill anybody, but he's going to put them in such pain that his goal is to get them to look to Christ. When you, when you punish your child, you want them to eventually come to the point where they realize that they've done something wrong, right? That's the goal. You know, you don't like the punishment. You don't like to do it. It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. That's a lie. But you do it because you want them to understand that what they did was wrong. And sometimes it's punishment, pain that gets them to understand that there's consequences to choices. So it's pain that gets their attention. Usually for children, giving them good things doesn't get their attention. <laughs> it's taking away things and punishing them that gets their attention. God's going to use these terrible things to get people's attention. Right now we're living in a blessed area, so blessing's not obviously working for a lot of people. So God's going to say, okay, I'm not going to give you blessings. I'm going to take them away from you because I want you to understand that I want you to have a relationship with me. Right now we're living in the age of grace, and we said it before. This is the age of God's grace. After the rapture is the age of God's judgment. We want to take advantage of what God gives us now so we don't have to suffer then. Verse 11 says, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, in Greek, Apollon, the destroyer. In Hebrew, the word here used here is more often used as a place rather than a person. In other words, they're personifying and they're giving this word a place rather than a, a person. Job, uh, Job 26.6 says, death is naked before God. Destruction lives uncovered. So it's not a person they're describing, it's a place or a state. Proverbs 15.11 says, death and destruction lie open before the Lord. So things that have been previously used to describe an area or a state of being now is giving like a personification of those words. Death is now a person. Destruction is now a person. That's like we talked about earlier in the seals. He's personifying what we now consider death and destruction. He's given a name to indicate what he will bring upon the earth. This angel was from the place of destruction and is the bringer of destruction. 
John uses both languages to make sure that all the readers understand what he's saying. He's using Greek, he's using Hebrew, hoping that people understand this guy getting out of the pit, this demon, he's gonna be a destroyer. He is gonna destroy the world. He's gonna destroy your life. Verse 12 says, the first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. So now we get to verse 12, the five months of pain and suffering are done. You would think, okay, that's over. Sigh of relief. But John wants the readers to realize that even though that five months of suffering is over, there's two more coming. And those two more are worse than that one and they're worse than the six seals we talked about in the past couple of weeks. As we see and as we read ahead, we'll see that the, the severity of the judgment matches the increase of the stubbornness of the people against God. You would think that people, when they have hardship, they want God. But how many people do we know that don't acknowledge God, shake their fist at God when things don't go their way? How can God let this happen? How can God let that person die? How can God bring this war about? You know, people don't know God, but they blame him for everything. Right now, we're living in a world where everyone experiences blessings as well as hardships and sufferings of some kind. We all have struggles. I mean, nothing like they're having over in the Soviet Union right now. I keep saying that. It's Russia and Ukraine. But none of it's like what's going to happen in Revelation. What we have here is nothing compared to the torment and agony that's going to happen to the entire world during the time of the tribulation. The Bible tells us that everything around us that happens in and around us is designed to bring us to Christ. Two things, blessings and a good life are designed to get your attention. Romans 2.4 says, don't you realize how kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? So God's blessing you trying to encourage you to come to know him. But if that doesn't work, he also uses hardness or hardships and suffering. Psalm 34, 6. I cried out to the Lord in my suffering, and he heard me. He set me free from all my fears. We prayed up here at the front all the folks we're praying for who don't know Christ, we don't know what's gonna bring them to Christ. Blessings or hardship, we don't know. But God knows. God knows exactly what each person needs to draw them in. And right now, we're praying that God uses those things right now. God is also gonna use only hardships and suffering in the tribulation to get people's attention. Because in spite of all the hardship there, as we said earlier, all that hardship is nothing compared to eternity in hell. When we hear the unspeakable horrors that the, that the Lord is gonna unleash on the earth, God is allowing us to get it right so we won't be here. We all have time. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return as some people think. We don't know when, the Bible says that we don't, no one knows when God's coming back for the rapture. No idea. He did, however, say 
these are things that are going to happen up to that time. And as I read at the beginning of the service, Matthew 24, these things are going to happen to get you ready for what's coming. So God's given us, the Bible says, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want any, anyone to perish, so he's given more time for everyone to repent. As long as we're here, the rapture hasn't happened, it's because God is giving people that we know and love time to repent. I shared this with Noah today. There's going to be a time where God says, time is up. Time's up. I've given you a lot of time. I've given you, I don't want any to perish. I've given you more time, but the clock is done. Time's up. Rapture happens. Tribulation happens. And God is speaking to each one of us today in 2 Corinthians 6. It says, as God's partners, we beg you not to reject this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. That's today. As we said earlier, and we say every week, no one's guaranteed of tomorrow. We want to be right today. You know, if you're 20, you think you're invincible. If you're 30, yeah, I still got a lot of time yet. But no one's guaranteed that. We need to be sure that we're ready for that. Would you stand as we close this morning? I'll read one more verse to you. Why we study this book. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. We want to be blessed while we have time. We have to also realize that that time is, is near. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Bow your heads. After saying all that, I would be remiss if I did not offer that opportunity to you that are here today. Maybe you go to church all the time. Maybe you don't go to church all the time. But you know you don't have a relationship with God. You know that you've never come to Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sins. You may have been in church all your life. Maybe you never even heard that. But the Bible says we're all sinners. And the punishment we talked about earlier for communion is the punishment that each one of us should have suffered. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We deserve that punishment. We don't deserve to be with God. In fact, the Bible says that we can't even stay in God's presence because it'll just burn us up. It'll just consume us. But the Bible says that Jesus is the gift that God gives us. He took our place for that. All the punishment that we should have gotten now fall, fell on Jesus. 
And God did that punishment because he wants us to be forgiven. The Bible says there's one thing we have to do and only one thing. The Bible says we have to believe that's true. The Bible says as many as receive him did he give the authority to become children of God. You have to receive the forgiveness of Christ that he offers you. And unless you do that, this church can't save you, I can't save you, nobody can save you. No one can get you a right relationship with God. Only when you turn to Christ and ask for forgiveness can that happen. So if you're here and you've never done that, or you can't look back at a point in your life where you say, you know, on this date, I did it. If you can't do that, and the Bible says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. If you can't place a time when you did it, or you know you haven't, never done it, then the Bible says today is the day you need to do it. You need to get right with God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your great and precious promises your word has given us that allow us to realize that our life is blessed right now. And all the tribulations and, and hardships we go through now is but a, a blip compared to the joy we're gonna have in heaven. But we also know there's a lot of folks who don't know you. And we lift them up. And we pray that God, you would draw them to yourself, that you would do what you need to do in their lives to save them. And we pray that you would continue to do miracles in our body, in our family here, so that people see what God is doing in our midst, that you heal and you deliver and you reconcile families that no one would doubt that the hand of God is upon it. It's not something we do by accident or coincidence, but God, people would know that you're here. And I pray that you would begin and continue reviving each one of us. Lord, we are excited and we are anticipating the soon coming of Jesus. Man, it could be today, Lord, and we wanna be ready. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Help us to really Make sure we're ready. Make sure that when that trumpet sounds, Father, we are ready to go. And that means we live our life simply to honor you and please you in every way. So Lord, I commit this church to you, Father. You have your way in each life. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday. If God is doing something in your life, we need to share that with others.